0: Hello and welcome to this special podcast episode brought to you by the Treasury Today Group. I'm Sophie Jackson, Joint Publisher and Head of Strategic Content. This episode takes a look at our recent Women in Treasury London forum, which took place in September this year. As with all our events in 2020, the forum was moved to a digital delivery, and this allowed us to have panelists joining us from across the MEA region. Joining us on the day were Tian Song, Senior Treasury Manager at Baker Hughes. Helena Bernard, Head of Treasury at General Motors Middle East Operations in Dubai. Diane Reyes, Group General Manager, Global Head of Liquidity and Cash Management at HSBC. And Kim Hochfeld, Senior Managing Director, Global Head of Cash at State Street Global Advisors. Over the course of the day, we had live polling of the audience and an interactive question and answer session. Here's a sneak peek at just some of the highlights from the day.
1: Tian, I mentioned, you know, kudos, hats off to you for what you've done so far. I wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about how you've experienced working in different cultures and languages and whether there's been any any learning curves in that. I'm sure there's been a lot.
2: My first international assignment is during my graduate program. And that was an assignment in Atlanta with GE Energy Group. So at that time, I got lucky because I had a manager who was originally Chinese and he's familiar with American living. So he was able to help me to like, combine the like, cultural heat, alert me of potential situations I might face, and help me to explain specific things that I might not know from that cultural content. So like, my first advice is that if you are moving to a new country, to a new language, find someone you can relate to and you can trust on so like, the person can help you to gradually like, adapt to the local, like the new environment. I think that definitely has helped me. Another advice from that experience, if I look back is that, well, I was also lucky because that job is not like overly challenging, which has helped me a lot because if I have to deal with uh, like a new living situation, figure out a new home, figure out how to live there, get a car, get to learn a new language, learn new people, and also having a huge challenging like a job working 12 hours a day. It's not going to be possible. So uh, my advice is that if it's the first time you are considering moving aboard for an international diamond, might be like just don't take all the challenge at one time. Like maybe take a few things at a time and gradually move to the ultimate situation. So that, that was my first six months. And then the real challenge started when I moved on to the corporate audit staff program, the more intense program. And in that program, my first assignment is with GE Capital Divestiture. So that's a lot more technical and a lot time pressure. I have a like a British manager and an Italian like a senior manager, which made it really hard for me because first of all, I don't know those terms in the like a capital portfolio and the divestiture like a space. So I'm getting a job challenge. In the meanwhile, the British accent and Italian accent definitely made it harder. (laughs) So like, I can imagine times when we were in like Italian presence with like the group CEO, CFO, and then there is a good big population listening in and I just fall asleep simply because I cannot follow. So that period, that's a four month period where like my performance professionally is actually being impacted because I wasn't able to, first of all, understand what like everything. Second of all, I cannot articulate myself in your professional content. So that, that period, it's really challenging. And my like advice is just deal with it. Just don't panic because everybody actually understand you will have such challenge. Just speak up about the challenge you might face and people will help you. At least they will understand you are dealing with that situation and they will be a little more tolerant. It's not going to be like 100% tolerance of like all your mistakes, but you should be like making your reasonably good effort, right? So yeah, that's my second phase. Then my third phase is that, well, I I got used to the day-to-day. I have uh, like a good professional competence. I, my my business English improved a lot. I know how everything works. So my professional delivery is being recognized. However, that, that phase, my challenge has then becomes, well, how I build a like a, a professional relationship with my colleagues outside of the task itself. Because at that moment, like you are not talking about some like a task you want to achieve where you know the content, you know the terms. You are talking about something outside of work, for example, talk about uh, American singers, like who is a classic singer, country singer, I will be like, wait, who are those people that like people are talking about? Or people talk about sports or like the drink games. There are a lot of the drink games in the U.S. I just have no idea what people are talking about. So I, I found at that base, my challenge is really that how I build my network beyond like the specific tasks. So my experience during that period is that Again, it's not going to achieve in one day because you gradually get involved in what everybody is uh, like, like basically occurring in their everyday life and trying to get familiar with them. So the advice is really not to be afraid of getting along with people who have a different lifestyle. Don't always hang out with people from your own cultural background. Like uh, that's my observation in the UK. A lot of the Chinese students, they only hang out with other Chinese students so the result is that while well, they are not really going to get to a stage where they can build connection with the locals. So that's my third stage. Then my last stage is really well. Okay, I can build relationship with my colleagues. I can get work done. I can live comfortably. However, how I expand my network beyond like your colleagues or like other team members or like the other companies you are working with. Going beyond this, like after work, who are you going to hang out with? I'm still trying to like, uh, figure the answer for this one, so any other I'm happy to hear. Kim's also
1: had to work in, in another language, I mean not, not quite as drastically different, but Kim's worked in French, and I think in culturing that feeling is difficult and challenging. Um, what have you learned about how this plays into the inclusion side of things, working in different cultures, working in different languages, being on the back foot, so to speak? I would answer this question by, by saying, Sophie, that I actually think
3: it's been a, an, an absolute privilege to be an outsider in many contexts. So I've been a, a foreigner in the UK for the last 27 years. As you alluded to, um, I worked for about five years in a completely francophone environment. Um, so I was the only English speaker around the table. And I've been a woman in a typically male-dominated industry for my entire career. And what it's given me, it's it's challenged me and inspired me in a way that I would never have believed being an outsider. You have to work harder to build connections, to relate to people, but what it gives you too is it also incentivizes you and inspires you to challenge your own preconceptions, to take a step back and look at what you might have taken for granted or what are your baseline assumptions about something because people are approaching them so differently. So I found it hugely inspiring a huge growth experience being forced to work in cultures that have been different to my own. And I think what it's done for me is I hope it's made me a better listener. And I think if you're a better listener, because you are taking on board other people's opinions, suggestions, thoughts, and ideas, it's going to make you a better decision maker. And it's also going to make you a much more inclusive leader. So, you know, if this goes back to the comments um, that Diane made and that I echoed around international experience, Being an outsider in a different culture forces you to stop, to to appreciate different cultures, different viewpoints, and hopefully think more inclusively and embrace diversity rather than resisting it.
1: Diane, I want to kick off with you again. What advice would you offer to people who are struggling to get the recognition that they want during this time? There's a lack of physical interaction, there's a lack of ability to kind of grab people and make them notice you. So what can we do during this time to develop our presence, develop our skill sets and get noticed?
4: So I guess I'll make a comment coming off of something Kim said about uh, the great equalizer. I do think remote working and Zoom uh, is is a leveler, if you will. It doesn't matter your status, right? Everybody's kind of equal and we see so much about the person whether you mention your cat or your dog or your child running in the background or even a spouse or or some people have a kitchen behind them, whatever it might be. Uh, It's actually kind of creates a more normal, comfortable, open uh, opportunity to talk. Now, um, I think that there are some things that people can think about uh, in this kind of context to be noticed. If you're not on a zoom call, I guess you don't have that opportunity to, to have it to be the great equalizer. But I do think that you can find ways to get on the zoom call. And I think one of the things that we're doing is examining ourselves to say, how many coffee chats, virtual coffee chats that you had, and are you having them with the same people you always had. Do you have only those coffee chats with men or women? And what type of ethnic minorities? Who do you invite to your staff meetings? And have you invited any of the black uh, community lately? And can you have them come periodically to keep you honest and test their input? So I think that there are things you can do to get on those calls. I was on a call literally this morning where our CEO has talked about what are our, our 2025 goals uh, to double our senior leaders, uh, black leaders. And two, have raised their hand and said, look, can I do a short-term assignment with you for six months? I'm really passionate about it, and I want to help you get this right. So uh, there's a lot of ways for people of all genders and and, uh, diversity and inclusion uh, aspects to participate if they're not on the Zoom calls. Volunteering, I mentioned earlier. But if you are on them, you want to get noticed, and you feel like you're just uh, new at it or or not really getting airtime. I would say um, the first thing to do is to have an elevator pitch. and I know what we're not, many of us won't be in elevators in the short term, but you can use that pitch verbally. What is it you wanna be known for? How do you wanna be branded? And what is it you wanna say about yourself to others? Uh, and, and it doesn't have to be, I wanna tell you I'm great and these are my leadership attributes. It's like, hey, I've been working on this and such. I've accomplished and finished this project. Can I help you in that regard? Because no one else will know as much about what you've accomplished as what you know, because your boss has probably, you know, minimum of seven, if not seventeen, direct reports. So there's no way they can know everything that you've done, but definitely someone who's not your boss that you would see in the elevator who you might want to work for later or that you would see on the virtual Zoom screen wouldn't know. So for you to be able to find a way to say, hey George, I've done thus and such in the last week, you just mentioned something about that. I know I'm not in your department, but could you leverage my skill set, that sort of thing. So so have your elevator speech and don't use it just to learn about this, the, the games, with baseball or football or soccer or whatever, but use it for bus- in a business context. Don't talk about the weather. I think the other thing I would say is um, practice these uh, points. And Sophie mentioned that earlier, where she has a group that practices how they're gonna ask for an increase or something. You should practice just about everything until you get really comfortable with public speaking. And I know some people poo-poo it and say, oh, practice, I don't need to do that, but actually, all the great CEOs that you know have taken coaching and Toastmasters and most of them practice 10 times before they give a major auditorium presentation, So There's nothing to be embarrassed about. I guess the second point I'd make and I'll stop with that is in this environment, it is easy to forget yourself. And so I would caution that and make sure you find time for yourself and to focus on your career development. And it's actually should be a time in which opportunities are open to you. Educational opportunities are open everywhere. Your company is not doing in-classroom training much anymore, so everything is online. And if you were in a department and you wouldn't take that training before, but you're very interested in that, you now can do it because it's available to all employees. It's quite a democratic process. So take some courses, whether it's a technical course or a new domain you wanna be in, it doesn't matter. Just advance yourself and where you want and then there's free non-course related to your companies that are out there. So one of the things I've done during those lunch sessions, and I only get 30 minutes, um, I've been able to join in podcasts, live podcasts that are being sponsored by Fortune, and this is something I could have never done at my office before because I, A, wouldn't have that same scheduled period of time, uh, and B, they weren't offering these during the lunch breaks before. So I am trying to make sure I'm conscious of what's happening in the broader community. What's the government in the area and all the states across the U.S. doing? How are they collaborating with other countries? I wouldn't have had that time. So I encourage you all to do that. And have a development plan. If your company offers a template or a form, don't get angry about it and think it's administrative. Just fill that thing out. It's as much for you as it is for your manager. It's a document for you to hold yourself accountable that you said you wanted to do something, and then you'll have to do it. But it's also a way to get your manager on the same page, and they can help you achieve your development plan, whatever that may be. So I would just say, one, have that elevator pitch and practice it. Find ways to get onto the Zoom meetings ask for help from other people. Join as an observer, because most managers, if you ask, will do it. Second, Focus on yourself and a development plan that's formal during this period. And I guess last, which I didn't sort of talk about is if you feel you need it, find a mentor or a sponsor, be persistent and reach out to somebody you think would be ideal for you and explain to them why. They'll at least give you one meeting. And during that one meeting, if you practice well, you'll probably get your second meeting. So those would be some thoughts I have, Sophie. Helene, I want to move to you.
1: We talked a little bit earlier there about how everyone's experiencing the past six months, things that we're learning from it. But one of the other things we've talked about on and off throughout this conversation is strategic treasury, how things are changing for you in your role. How have you seen the role of a treasurer evolving and how do you see it evolving even further now um, with the current situation that we're all in?
5: So a couple of things. Um, in particular, over the past, I would say decade um, since in particular since, uh, the last global financial crisis, there has been so much more focus on treasury strategy, liquidity cash management that that 's one side of of change in many uh, I would say multinational companies you know have had much more sophisticated treasuries for a really long time when it comes to some of the you know smaller companies or um, private local companies. Treasury, um, I have witnessed, it has been years ago, embedded in other finance function. It was part of accounting. It was part of overall picture. It was not as visible. Over the past 10 years, we see, in particular, in the region where I am extremely much more focused on uh, recruiting treasury professionals with um, you know, broader experience, implementing systems, uh, putting controls in place automating treasury activities as well as moving back office to short service we've seen that happening for banks as well as for corporates that's one side the other thing is treasurers um, had much more new requirements from when it comes to regulation regulatory requirement kyc etc so you need to really spend much more time to manage those activities but most importantly i think it's the overall uh, banking industry and the technology that has evolved over the past decade with automation digitization new products um, working capital management different tools more automated the fintechs etc so it has been quite a lot and treasurer's Become much more challenged of being on top of being innovative, interacting with the outside world, getting the best uh, products and practices brought to their own workplace to support you know the organizational to catch up with with the outside technology, but also find the efficiency from you know risk management to cash visibility reconciliation etc. as well as in most companies, the projects usually you know start evolving with business development, etc so nowadays, if there is an ongoing discussion for various projects, treasury has to be part of it at the very early stage to actually be part of the strategic of funding is an important component. And there have been a lot of volatilities in the market and from the liquidity perspective. So I would say COVID uh, overall experience, I think there is much more focus on uh, counterparty risk management, overall risk management uh, from, because everyone is sitting at home. So making sure that technology being used it's all saved in a safe environment, secured. There are in the region, there are still certain areas where the paper check, is very common. Now with the, what has been happening, um, you know, recently, I see there's a huge acceleration of moving away from paper to digitization and banks are much more open to receive digital documents versus physical paperwork that has to, so all, all these things, it's actually, it's, it, there's some benefit uh, at the same time, I look at it from the positive side because it's going to accelerate and a different way of working. And I couldn't imagine uh, myself being sitting at home and my team being in the office and um, there's payments, there's so many projects, there's so many things. But what the technology does, and, and just I think probably most of you might know, within the region, in you know, a voice, in a certain video, we're not... That's um, widely used, unless you had a video conference, so it was not that popular. This is another benefit what we have now. We can talk, you know, unnecessary video, but being able to share the documents, presentations, uh, makes it much more efficient. Whereas prior to, I would say, pandemic, it was much more common to sit in a meeting room and pop up charts of presentations and talk about it what i also found that we keep meeting much shorter if it's um, if it's online
4: mm.
5: um maybe because we have so many more other meetings that we wouldn't probably didn't have squeeze in uh, but the, me, people can prepare they're much more efficient
1: because yeah. they want to achieve the result and move on Kim and I, we've spoken about the support for Black Lives Matter that's going on across the world. This is provoking a conversation for all of us around racial equity, which is long overdue. And what do you think we can learn from this? What do we do? How do we start to push for racial equity in our, in our professions and how can we help? How can we part, be part of a solution and not part of a problem? So I'm going to ask this question from two angles, the first from the corporate
3: angle and the second from a personal angle. So from a corporate perspective, I'm very proud that State Street Global Advisors has been a long-standing champion of diversity through our role as an asset steward. So we are broadening that focus now to include not just gender diversity, but also racial and ethnic diversity. The fundamental tenant of our whole activist program is that The best long-term driver of value in the companies that we own is having a strong, independent and effective board. And the best way to achieve that, according to all the research, is to have a diverse group of individuals on that board. So we are widening our focus on diversity, not just to include gender, but also on, on racial and ethnic grounds. And we are asking all the companies that we own to publicly publish their strategy around racial and ethnic diversity. They need to give us their goals, their strategies, and the risks of not pursuing a diverse strategy on that front. And the, you know, the key requirement to that is that it is publicly disclosed to all their underlying shareholders. So we've seen huge results from our gender push um, along these lines. We hope we will see as an encouraging response um, from the companies that we, that we own along racial and ethnic lines. So that's what we can do on a corporate level. I think on a, on a personal level, as you say, we as as women have all been in the position where we are in the minority. And I would say we should use that example to, to appreciate and to try and understand the position that our Black colleagues are in um, as a, a very much more a, a, a minority than we've ever been, with a lot more struggle than perhaps women have had. So, I always think of the the line that our State Street CEO actually said, because a comment he made really resonated with me. He said, simply because we're innocent bystanders doesn't mean we can simply stand by. And I think that encapsulates what we can do as individuals. Um, We need to embrace this. We need to be talking about it. We need to be conscious of all the obstacles in the way of our Black colleagues, our Black female colleagues, and try and help make that dialogue an open dialogue. It's an open issue and start trying to address those those problems. So I think it's the start of a very important journey that we need to make.
4: I guess I'll add one small thing. I think uh, Kim had said a lot of it, the idea of publishing and having uh, goals. And as I mentioned earlier, our CEO has done that, but I think that's not enough. I think we need to cascade those down to the different departments in the firm. And each department has to internalize Uh, where they're going with concrete actions that are perhaps more relevant in their department than maybe in another. So I I think the idea of, okay, the CEO does it, it's just the beginning. Uh, They've given us the room and the direction of travel that we need to go in, but now we have to also own it. And so I would just say, make sure your own department that you're leading, it could be 10 people, it could be hundred, it could be a thousand, whatever, it doesn't matter. They need to own this as well. That's how it's gonna get real.
0: I want to thank our panelists, Tian Song, Diane, Halina and Kim for being part of this important conversation. And also a big thank you to our guest stars, Essen Basturk, Mariana Prodicarati and Helen Hamby for their great questions and for joining us. And finally, our attendees and our panel sponsors, HSBC and State Street Global Advisors please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to hear more of our audio content. Thank you very much.